Hey friend, support this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes. And you can also do that now in Spotify and leave five stars for Infertility and Me podcast. This will just help increase our show's ranking and reach so that we can continue to reach more people and more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. Now, let's get into the episode. You guys, welcome back to another episode of Infertility and Me. This is episode 113. Yes, you heard that right. Episode 113. I'm your host, Monique Farouk. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode, friends. So glad to be here with you. So glad that you decided to hit that play button to tune into today's episode with Kira Nevins. But before that, a few quick announcements Join me on Patreon, you guys, for our private community, and you will be helping the continuation of the podcast, the show, and all the things that I want to do and and expound upon with Infertility and Me community. Download the app, Patreon, get signed up, search Infertility and Me, or click the show details to sign up and start your subscription for as little as $5 a month, you guys five dollars a month and you can cancel at any time we also have private discord chat so that you guys can connect with one another locally and or collectively and meet other people in the community and chat and we'll do our monthly zoom calls and check in with one another we could do them more frequently if we get a lot of requests for it after a couple of months of being a part of the patreon community you'll also be sent a very special gift of hope from me as my way of saying thank you to supporting the show and the community that we are building together because we absolutely cannot do this thing alone you guys so tap that show details and let's build this community together i want to tell you guys about infertile teas infertile teas was created by marilyn gomez who is an ivf survivor mom to her one and only infertile teas sells graphic teas made with the silent sufferer and infertility warrior in my their graphic teas hats socks, masks, and a plethora of other goods are created and curated with you in mind to tell your story your own way. You guys, I really love Infertile Tees because the quality of the shirts are fan-freaking-tastic. They're soft and they feel great against your skin. The designs are very beautiful. Marilyn designs all of the graphics herself and she also draws those graphics. So she's an all-around creative badass you guys to check out infertile teas and when you do when you find that special item that showcases you while also advocating for infertility and or miscarriage awareness use code iam15 to get a discount on your purchase you guys will not regret it check out infertilities.com for your infertility advocacy awareness products. Our guest today and her husband went through three years of unexplained infertility, multiple rounds of Clomid, four unsuccessful IUIs, two cycles of IVF, 
before welcoming their twin girls. Four months after her girls were born, she found out she was pregnant because she was scheduled for a routine hernia that needed to be fixed due to her pregnancy with her girls. And so that's how she found out she was pregnant. So she tells us all about that. And she also tells us why she hid her fertility treatments from her family. And part of it is due to religious beliefs and her moral background beliefs as well. And so Kira shares with us how she overcame shame into living a life of gratitude, embracing the present moment, and how she found her purpose as a fertility coach, helping women struggling on their journey to motherhood. This episode is for you, friend, if you've been feeling very shameful and guilty about your journey thus far. And then also her story will empower you and make you feel less alone, as well as giving some tools and advice on how you could rebuild your new identity. And I think that when we are diagnosed with infertility, we take on this new uh, identity, which is, quote unquote, being infertile. And so we have to navigate our lives from then forward in finding a way to come into who we are now and not necessarily using the title infertile, but just it changes you. We all know this. You can find Kira at the fertility mama, M-A-M-A dot com. And on there, you can also find her on Instagram and connect with her there if you're seeking a fertility coach or if you just like to follow along. So we'll be back in just a moment, you guys, with Kira. And we're back, you guys, with our girl, Kira, and she is so graciously woken up early just to come on the Infertility and Me podcast. So you guys should feel really, really special today, even though you're listening in the afternoon. We recorded really kind of early on a Sunday because we <laughs> like to sleep in on Sundays. But Kira, thank you so much, dear, for coming on the show and hanging out with me to give us a little bit more about your story and and um, offer some hope and some inspiration to others out there who may be in a similar situation that you found yourself yes, in. Yes, I am so grateful to be here and I'm so happy to be a part of sharing my story and helping other women to find peace and, and resolve on their journeys as well. Oh, absolutely. We could all use a little <laughs> bit more peace right now with these trying, absolutely. trying, trying times. Okay. Oh my gosh. So look, how did you and hubby meet? Let's, let's, let's. Yes. So we met way back when I was a spring chicken at 19 years old <laughs> um, and he was 21 and it was actually in between a summer break for college. I was going into my sophomore year and we met, he's, he's from my high school. Actually, he's in my sister's grade and he asked me out at one of the parties we were at. And we've been together ever since, which is a long time. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. But it, it's it's very unique nowadays to have a uh, yeah. relationship for that long coming out of high school. So kudos to you guys. Okay, hand claps for you guys <laughs> for making it work, for doing the work, because that's what marriage is about, doing the work and Absolutely. meeting somewhere in the middle, you know, to find Absolutely. a little bit of happiness together. So uh, you guys been married yes. for quite a while, quite a, quite a while. and. What point in and how old were you guys when you really started trying to conceive? I'm sure you didn't no, jump right, right into it and such, you know, being yeah, in the early so 20s we, and all. Yeah, so we got married pretty young. We got married when I was 25 and he was 27 um, because we had, at that point, you know, been together for about six years and, um, you know, people around me, my sister was married and actually my best friend at that time already had two kids. She had kids young. And so we were, we got married young, but yes, we didn't start trying right away at the beginning 
we we wanted you know I had some career goals I wanted to to meet and we wanted to travel and things like that so we started trying when I was around 27 and he was 29 but when we did get married I did go off birth control right away because I did just have this like fear in the back of my mind that I would have infertility issues um even though I had no signs for that or, or reason for it. My mom mm-hmm. had all four of us, um, you know, about a year apart. I'm, a, I'm one of four. Um, and so I really always wanted to emulate that family when I grew up. We are from Ireland and moved over to America when I was five. And so we were always really close growing up and really just had each other. And it just became a strong belief, which I realized later as I went through my journey, how important I thought tying four children in um, was to my happiness. Um, And so, yeah, so we, so I did go off birth control. um, And then um, we didn't start really trying till I was uh, 27. So when you said just a minute ago that you had a fear in the back of your mind of having some kind of fertility struggle, where did that come from? Was it something that, did you know someone who had had fertility struggles in like your family or something? No, or it's it so like funny. It's, I think it's because I wanted it so badly. Um, mm. You know, and, and I say that because I wanted it so badly and, but I had no reason to think that. And so when we did start trying, I was still super hopeful. Like I just kind of was like, I want to mm-hmm. be off birth control and get off hormones. And I still felt like there was like something that it was doing to my body, even though there is no, I don't think scientific proof that it does. I just was like kind of paranoid because I wanted it so badly. And gotcha. yeah. And so then when we started to trying, started trying at 27, um, you know, it was carefree and fun. And we were actually, um, when we decided to try, we it happened to be around a time that we planned a family reunion back in Ireland. And I remember just mm-hmm. thinking like, how romantic it would be if we conceived there. And, you know, of course, that didn't end up happening. Um, and then we tried for, you know, another six months, kind of carefree. And then I started really tracking my ovulation. And I started to use the ovulation kits, which I found so frustrating because I just mm-hmm. couldn't, they wouldn't work for me. Like either the smiley face was early or it was later or like yeah. it, it kept continuously flashing and I was just getting mm-hmm. so frustrated and I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, we tried that for a year and a half. And then at the time, my sisters uh, were also trying for children. My sister had, I mentioned earlier, she had one earlier when I was got married at 25. And then she started to experience secondary infertility, which was really mm. challenging for her. And then my other sister experienced two miscarriages. So that was devastating. And we had that around us. And then, you know, we felt like it was our turn to see the fertility doctor and make sure everything was okay and try and figure out what was going on for us. So luckily I kind of made the guesswork out of the research, took the research out of looking for a doctor because I was referred and used my sister's doctor that they were using. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we went to uh, meet with her, she, um, we did all the tests and she diagnosed us with unexplained infertility, which was kind of both a gift and frustrating at the same time um, because we wanted mm-hmm. to find answers. But and so we found ourselves starting with Clomid, um, and so we tried that for about six months, and uh, I think that's the limit that you can take it. And then that wasn't working. But at the time, I remember 
that it felt mm-hmm. so drastic, you know, where we find ourselves in this journey, that the steps we take, we don't picture ourselves there. And I remember even with Clomid, we, my husband and I were so nervous that we would have twins because it um, increases your chance, I think five to 10%. Um, and at, at the time, you know, that was, mm-hmm. we were petrified to have twins. Um, but obviously as we went down the journey, we would have, we were de- desperate for twins. So, and so the Clomid didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we advanced to IUI and that we did four rounds of IUI, which was just a very vulnerable experience. I feel, I remember at the time I also wasn't telling any about anybody about it. And so I was working full time. And so I was hiding it from colleagues and stressing about coming up with excuses other than the dentist and the doctor. And I remember being so excited when I thought about of a financial advisor appointment, because it was just different, you know, than, um, than the other excuses. And I just mm-hmm. remember the perspective mm-hmm. it gave me on life, just like because I, I had done one that morning before going into work or one of the mornings going into work. And I just remember chatting with a colleague and in the back of my mind, just thinking mm. like of what we had just gone through that morning, you know, how vulnerable and how emotional that process was. Mm-hmm. And just kind of, it gave me that understanding. We just truly never know what other people are going through and, you know, how important it is to be empathetic and kind and, and all of that. And so we were we had yeah. done the four IUIs and then that didn't work and then here we were at a crossroads um, to make a decision to do IVF and I mentioned earlier that I'm from Ireland and I was raised Irish Catholic so that mm-hmm. was a, a really um, tough decision to make just based on the beliefs I was raised on that I truly didn't necessarily share but I think they were just kind of ingrained in the back of my head and made me feel like doing IVF was mm-hmm. wrong the wrong thing and I felt like I was embarrassing my family and I felt ashamed of my body and that I was broken and, and, um, you know, just so emotional. And at the time, my husband and I, uh, we were super connected during this and we would take our walks together. We would get up early before work, um, with our dog. And that was, Mm -hmm. again, that's still like some of my fondest memories of us together. And it was so important, I think, to keep us connected and grounded during that time. But during one of those walks when he was trying to convince me, because he was all on board with IVF, he used the example of just if if we if I had gotten cancer or another disease, like I would use any medical advances and mm. um, science to help me through that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's funny now looking at it, I could I totally don't see a difference between like a kidney transplant and like using a surrogate or, you know, getting help in this at all, you know? Um, but as Mm -hmm. I mentioned, just with my Mm -hmm. upbringing, I I hadn't pictured myself in that position yet. And so I hadn't really expanded on that thought much. And so once he explained it to me that way, I was, I was totally on board. And so we, we were ready to do IVF. And then once we made that decision, I was so excited and we were told our chances were high. We were told they were about mm-hmm. 60% because of our age where we were young and our diagnosis wow. was un- unexplained. So I truly just, you know, I, I didn't have so much knowledge and education on IVF. And so I had just thought that the first round would work right away. And, you know, now mm-hmm. I have obviously a much better understanding working with other women and helping other women. So when we went through the first round, we did egg retrieval and we found out we had to do emergency ICSI, which 
that also felt like another mm. thing that just was working against us. It just felt like another blow. Mm. Yeah, I just, another and it was blow, something right? our doctor another had blow. prepared us for. Mm. So it just like really caught us off guard in the moment mm. and, you know, was really stressful. But luckily the ICSI worked. I think I had about 19 fertilized eggs and then, or 19 eggs mm. and 12 fertilized. And then we had three, three healthy embryos. Gotcha. So wonderful. So that yeah. first round then of IVF, we put in uh, one of the embryos and then that failed. And so that was devastating. I remember getting that call and we, we were just like, oh my gosh, like we kept just being told, you know, from our doctor that everything was going to work and everything was going to be fine. And here we were, you know, a year later after six months of Clomid and four rounds of IUI and now this IVF had failed and we just didn't, we just felt so um, defeated, you know? And uh, so then Mm -hmm. after that one failed, then, you know, we decided to move forward again with the next round. And at that point I was just, I just decided that we, we needed to put in two embryos. I was like, we, we need to advocate for ourselves. I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't go through this again. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what they're saying is mm-hmm. not working. And so we got the approval to put two in how our beautiful twin girls arrived. So they're fraternal. So, yes, okay. they are. They are fraternal. Yeah. Wonderful. How old are they? How old are they? They are now? six, um, actually. They're okay. everyone's birthdays. So my son, he was a big surprise right after the twins. So mm-hmm. I had actually, so their birthday, the reason I was saying is their birthday is in April. So they're all coming up to be, the two girls will be seven and then my son will be six. So, so after we had the twins and I remember we, we went to go to the ultrasound and I had a dream the Mm -hmm. night before that it was going to be twins. And I was so hopeful again, as we talked about the perspective just changes completely from when you start your journey to being fearful of twins to Mm -hmm. being, you know, desire twins so much. Um, And we went to the ultrasound and um, the technician showed us. Um, they pulled, she pulled it up and said, here's the heartbeat and here's the other one. And my husband mm. and I just looked at each oh, other. Wow. We cry, I was crying. I was so excited. Um, and we were just so excited. But then mm. after the birth of our twin girls, um, I had developed an umbilical hernia from the, from mm. carrying the twins. Um, yes, yeah, a lot of stress. Yes, in the body. absolutely. Yeah, and, um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I was actually going in, <clears throat> excuse me, for surgery to get it corrected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I happened okay. to have a routine um, doctor's appointment about two days before it. And so she had known I was going in for surgery and they would have done a routine pregnancy test there anyway. So she did it for me. And then that morning when we were scheduled to go in for surgery, my mom was driving over to our house so she could watch the kids. And my husband was taking me into surgery. And I got a call from my um, doctor that we were actually pregnant. And I just, we were like, so taken aback. We were so shocked. I, I, we just never thought like our bodies could do it. And Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't know I was pregnant. My, it was only four months after um, the birth of um, my daughter. So I just, I felt yeah. like my stomach was just, ex- I thought it was just expanded and was going to be that way. And it was the hernia. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so that was just such a, a beautiful, wonderful moment that I never could have thought mm-hmm. we would be one of those stories. Beautiful and our doctor stories. had warned us. She said, yeah. what are you going to use for birth control? And I just remember like dismissing it kind of being like, 
she doesn't know what we've gone through. This is never going to happen for us naturally. Yeah, and yeah. and it did. And it was such a gift. It was the best gift we ever had. It's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to when you guys were still in the thick of things. Did you ever feel as if you were being punished because of your decision to use help and not leaving it to yeah, God? I, I honestly, to, you that know I mean? is a great question. And I think um, some people's comments can be insensitive and people can say, you know, yeah. why, why don't you leave it up to God or, or even people mm -hmm. um, that I've worked with, with secondary infertility, like, why can't you be happy with your one son or, or whatever, or children that you have. Um, and I think that I was, even though I said to you earlier, I was comfortable with my decision. I think I, I lied about it after and I didn't tell people. So I think there's a difference between hiding your story and your journey as you're going through it and, and, you know, selecting a small group of people that you're comfortable sharing it with, because once you open it up out there, it's really hard. Then people ask you about it. And if it doesn't work, you have to talk about it and you may not want to, you know, talk about it with so many people. Um, and so I think there's a difference between keeping it quiet and then lying about it after. And mm -hmm. so I found myself after telling people, you know, that we had twins in our family, which we actually did. So I convinced myself I wasn't lying. But of course, I wasn't being truthful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think um, going back to your question, I think those half truths. Yeah, exactly. So much, you know, those exactly. <laughs> and I think going back to your question is like, I, I had thought that I felt really good about my decision and that, you know, I wasn't mm -hmm. feeling guilty. But by holding on to that lie, I, I was holding on to the shame and the embarrassment. And so once I finally let that go, I felt so free. And it's just why I'm so passionate about being a fertility coach now and helping women to own their stories and with conviction and confidence and know that they're, you know, they're, nothing's wrong. They're not broken and they're not a failure. And to, I think we lose ourselves so much in our fertility and with experiencing mm -hmm. infertility. Mm -hmm. And I'm just passionate about helping women like find themselves again and experience joy through such a challenging time and put themselves first mm. and get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health Shop now at Hero.co. So I actually, I think there was a couple things that made me come be open about my story was I, I think when I stepped into motherhood, I was really truly just wanting to be her, the kind of person that stood behind their decisions. And I never wanted my kids to mm -hmm. feel, of course, if I wasn't telling them, talking about it, then they would feel ashamed about it. And I never wanted them to think I was ashamed because I truly, truly wasn't. I was the best decision I ever made. Again, I just didn't know anyone that had experienced it. So I felt so alone and I felt like broken and, and ashamed and guilty. And, you know, no one no one talks about it. And that's, again, why I'm, I'm so grateful to your podcast and having this conversation and being open because I just hope women start to feel like they aren't the only person experiencing it and that it's not their fault. And so I met then I when I moved to our new house, I met um, a neighbor down the street who is now one of my best friends and she had done IVF mm. and our twins are the same age and she's actually from Ireland as well. It was kind of like fate. Oh. And she told me and I just 
it was She's like I know and it was just yeah, like like a twin it was flame. and I it was so nice to have somebody to talk about the experience and the trauma and just the way you felt and we talk about googling mm-hmm. celebrities all the time and just trying to find you know mm-hmm. a connection with somebody else and it's fear. just so true like once you mm-hmm. talk to people you truly gain strength from people and and their stories and mm-hmm. it's like it, it's just so amazing and so when i met her i just wanted to be as confident and open as she was about it and once i did i like told all my friends and i told you know mm-hmm. um, family and um, that i didn't know and it was 2 years after so people were like why didn't you tell right. me like it was nice. I mean, the response mm-hmm. from people was beautiful. It was, there was no, I didn't feel any judgment. And I think that was also because I wasn't judging myself anymore. You know, I let go of that judgment as well. That's the key. Yeah. That's yeah. That's I love that. Yeah. I think we do a lot of that in so many different areas of life. And then to add infertility on top of it um, really just keeps you in the closet. It does. Really just keeps you in the closet. And I feel like to piggyback off of what you were saying about the shame, the guilt. And then once you do find that freedom and liberation in, in, in connecting with someone, even if it's just one person, you know, male or female that has been through similar and it's like, you know, it's fate. You guys met like that. And I've had experiences that way as well, where just out of nowhere, it's like a a angel is sent to you, you know, of confirmation that it's not something that you need to hold on so tight to like let it go exactly and I think you know God universe just wants us to let it go absolutely and and, and let it do its thing absolutely and I found like I feel like you know what you resist resists and I felt Mm. like I was resisting the journey I had gone through and now it's just kind of wild how it's come full circle and persisted as like a new career and passion for me to help other women because then I found myself so I feel like I've experienced a lot of different parts of this family building spectrum because I obviously went through infertility and then you know IVF and then we had a surprise pregnancy which I never could have imagined and then my second half of my story mm-hmm. which I'll get into is secondary infertility because I thought I thought after my son that you know we could have a fourth easily and that it would just happen like almost your body. Yeah, I was like, right? okay, like, yeah. yeah, and that's a normal response. Exactly, I think. Yeah, and then sure. I feel like oddly enough, the four, the journey for the fourth baby was actually the hardest journey of all. Which again, I say sensitively because I know you know I want to honor where everybody is on this journey who's listening now. But it was like I think it was because. I wasn't coming from a place of empowerment. I didn't have the support of my husband. Mm. So at this point, we had three kids under three. Our home was beautifully chaotic at home. Um, I was working full time. And my husband was like, no, we're not having another baby. But again, going back (laughs) to these beliefs, it's wild. Like, like there's research that shows we have 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. And that um, 90% of those thoughts are repetitive, which I think in in the infertility world, Mm -hmm. we understand. And 80% of those, right? And 80% of those are negative. So, and our thoughts become our beliefs. So as I was a child, since I was Mm -hmm. a child, I believed that the only way I could be truly happy and emulate the family that I grew up with, that I loved so much, was to have four kids. And I just became so, Mm. and it's like, when do we actually really, truly step back and reevaluate some of those beliefs um, that we kind of just continue to repeat, you know? 
in our new identity. So I was, you know, a, a child that didn't have exactly. any kids yet. I, so my new identity was a full-time working mother with three kids under three, a husband that did mm-hmm. not want to have another baby. Yet I became so siloed and focused mm-hmm. on that one goal. And I just kind of was living on autopilot and I was missing the joy in front of my beautiful kids in front of me and fighting with my husband all the time. And so finally he agreed to having a fourth. And so um, I took my birth control out. I had the explanade, I think it's called, or the the arm, the arm okay. birth control that you have to take out. Mm-hmm. And okay. made the decision, you know, he said, Well, I'm not doing any assisted reproductive help. It will have to be natural. So then this is when I became like obsessive mm-hmm. over anything I could do to control it, my diet, my environment. And so I started reading all these books. I read Take Control of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler, which is a great book and gives you such education on your body. I still use it for like my hormone health today, but it taught me about the three signs of your fertility, four phases of of your menstrual cycle. And and then I also read the book, It Starts with an Egg. And then that taught me about like endocrine Mm -hmm, disruptors. mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's again, like, and that's a great (laughs) Mm -hmm. book. But I think that another reason why I do what I do today is to help women come from a place of empowerment, because I think sometimes we can overload, overload ourselves with information about those things, like especially endocrine disruptors, and it becomes paralyzing. And you, you know, you can't, do anything because they're all around us. So I actually... And it's just like somebody else who was like terminally ill. Somebody who's terminally ill and or any other serious disease, lupus, anything like that, you know. Right. It it unfortunately becomes a part of your identity, which then when something is a part of your identity, what do you want to do? You want to learn more about it. Even if it's toxic, the way you're going about doing it. (laughs) Do the best you can with what you learn Mm -hmm. and applying it to your everyday life and still exactly. finding joy, you know? And so I, I became vegan during that time and I became obsessive. I almost became, there's a term, term for it called uh, orthorexia, which is where you just obsess over what you're putting in your body it has to be like healthy, organic. And, mm. you know, I would, you know, not go out to dinner. I wouldn't do dinner plans because I didn't want to eat the food. I would bring my food mm. over to my, to my mom's house or my friend's house. And it just became so much. And I just kind of became resentful of my husband as well because I felt mm. like he wasn't, you know, putting effort in. And that was because he really didn't truly want to for it. And really that balance, That's a lot. Yeah, that was a lot. It was lot. really hard. And I remember, yeah. excuse me, at one of my lowest points, I had just got a new car, which was a little bigger. It was a, it's a Chevy Traverse. And I was, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. was just angry with my state of mind. I had probably got my period that morning and I was pulling into um, the CVS parking lot. And I just, and I hit a parked car and I was just like, oh, wow. started crying in the parking lot. And I just was like, what? I've got to change like my mental state. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. I couldn't go on living like that. Like I just, I had to make a change. And so when I, I got home that day, I actually started researching and I called a fertility coach. And even just from that, making that one step, which is so hard. And that's why whenever a woman picks up the phone and calls me. I'm so honored and I just am so proud of them for making that step for themselves because Mm -hmm. I just truly Mm -hmm. know how hard it is to reach out for help when you're in those moments. And so even just from that one call, it was a a consultation call. I just kind of heard all this stuff I was regurgitating to you, my husband not wanting it. And then at the end of the call, I said, you know, can I pay through Venmo so that my husband doesn't know? It was mm-hmm. like after I heard myself, I, I kind of knew as I was, you know, I knew he didn't want it. I knew it didn't kind of feel right. But I just, again, 
these thoughts we stick with, these beliefs we had, I was like, I have to mm-hmm. do this. And so uh, after talking with her and hearing myself say that, I, I realized mm-hmm. I really had to make a change again with this and it didn't mm-hmm. feel right. And then luckily around that time, my husband had got a new job. And so I, at that time was, and still am very passionate about like learning and and bettering myself and how to live a better life and self-improvement and all of that. And so I was able to leave my job and stay home with the kids. And I was still, again, I was ready for that paradigm shift to stay home with them. Um, and But in the back of my mind, even though, as I said, it was a struggle, I still was like, ooh, maybe this will convince him that we can handle a fourth and he'll really want one, mm-hmm. you know? And so I started my journey through um, the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, with, which is a wonderful health coaching program there. And it really just teaches you about how to live fulfilled life, eat all the healthiest food and be physically healthy. But if you're not mentally healthy, if you're not, you know, balanced in other areas of your life, like your relationship, your career, your movement, mm-hmm. your spirituality, mm-hmm. then you're out of balance, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's aligning all of that and together. Get and no so, chakras in order, you guys. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so it was, but it was such, it was the best thing I've ever done because it pushed me towards my passion of helping other women. And it mm-hmm. pushed me towards healing myself through this journey and identifying, you know, writing down all my values, you know, when's the last time we've sat down and written our values or thought about our beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I realized Mm -hmm. like that, that was a belief that I felt I wouldn't be happy if I didn't have four children. And I had never reevaluated that. And so, you know, through, it was, it was such a um, period of growth for me and healing. And I, I learned meditation and journaling and breathing and, um, how to just be balanced as a whole and really prioritize myself. Finally was able to, you know, let go of that one belief and um, be happy in the present moment and with what yeah, I had. I love that so much. And it's just unfortunate that it had your new identity with the new beliefs and then getting the help and being proactive about bettering yourself had to come that way, you know, I think it was one of those like signs from the universe. I feel like, you know, at the time I was also kind of getting empty in my career. I was a jewelry buyer Mm. for 10 years. And, um, you know, I feel like it was almost like, I mean, now in hindsight, it feels like it was meant to be. It was like kind of a path created for myself that I never would have. Right. And I never would have imagined all of these pieces falling into place, um, and, you know, I feel like now I'm living with such purpose and, um, mm-hmm. and passion to help other women and through their journeys. And, and it feels good. Yeah. And I think we all kind of look for that, that full feeling. You yeah. Know, like, this is it. I'm, I'm fulfilled and I, I feel whole and there's no voids. And it's just this feeling of not being hungry, you know, like when you're full, you're content and content, not meaning we don't have other ambitions, but we're okay if it doesn't. So it becomes that point to your story. It's it's okay if this is if it's just the four of us, and I, it's not the the um, this the six of us like I I had yeah. intended 
and the five of us, five of us. Yeah, yeah. My math is off, you guys. I'm in the closet today recording, and I don't know anything anymore. It happens when you have twins too. You kind of combine them, like you know. So yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, you can see I don't have any twins, but yeah, yes, yes, yeah. And 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 you know, I love having these conversations. Not only one because they're so informational so much knowledge and you guys always drop so many gems as I like to say the trendy word the young people are using you know mm-hmm. dropping gems and nice. then also just the amount of awakening that I hear from people who have been through fertility struggles not that they intended for that to happen mm-hmm. but I feel like when we do, we go through fertility struggles it makes us more so so much more aware of everything and so then we start breaking down the the pieces to the puzzle that make up us and our lives. So being able to, I commend you one for getting the education because a lot of people call themselves a coach, you know, and don't have any education and just calling themselves a coach. So that's kudos to you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to even educate yourself on how to properly be hold space for people. And so tell us about your coaching a little bit more and what your values are as a coach. Yes, absolutely. So um, I do one-on-one coaching and um, I truly just come from a place of empathy and compassion, having been in their shoes. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, it's just a passion of mine to help women get to know themselves again when they feel they're really lost and just kind of always of being in tune with what they need, what feels right to them, what's the next best step for them. Cause there's just so many different outside noises within fertility. And I think another thing um, that fertility coaches do is fill in that gap between, you know, our well-intentioned family and friends that can sometimes say insensitive comments that just kill us, you know, and just mm-hmm, having a separate mm-hmm. outlet of someone that kind of has been there and understands and and a sounding board and an advocate to help you make decisions throughout your journey. There are so many different aspects. So it's really unique to the person meeting them where they're at, you know, mm-hmm. if, if diet's mm-hmm. something they want to work on, or if it's relationships. Um, and really, I, I'm very passionate about the mindset. I truly love from my own healing experience, what meditation and journaling and breathing and intentionally creating time for that in our day to help manage our anxiety. Um, And Mm -hmm. I still do that today with just my life, you know. Um, And I also have on my website, I have a self-care challenge. And that also is kind of intended for the two-week wait, but um, can be done at any time. And it has a lot of different workbooks in it, like um, like I mentioned, it has a guide for for meditation, um, journaling prompts in there, um, relationship Mm -hmm. quizzes and personality tests and then there's a 14-day journal at the end to um, keep you accountable for um, for that as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing your about your practice as a coach, as well as all the freebies you like yes. to give away to the community. So for a last word for the community, uh, a bit of hope for them, uh, you could do that at this time. Kira. Yes, I would love to. You know, a quote that I love um, by John Lennon is, it's going to be okay. Um, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. Um, and I just really want to honor everyone where they are in their journeys. Um, you know, it's infertility has been compared, the psychological um impact has been compared to people with cancer and serious diseases that we talked about earlier and just really just honoring yourself, 
giving yourself grace, feeling your feet, like prioritize yourself, reach out for support. I think what's so great now versus seven years ago when I was going through it is there's just so much more people talking about it. There's more support groups and it's just so important to to take that step and get the support that you need. Thank you for that. And I totally agree and got to love some John Lennon. He was a, he's a legend an icon. I love that quote that he, um, that he shared with the world. And so, yeah, you guys, in the show details will be all of Kira's information so you can connect with her on IG as well as through her website. If you're seeking um, fertility coach and you feel like you and Kira might be a good match, go ahead and book that consult, that call and get more information from her website as well and get those freebies. OK, get those freebies for yourself. And then you guys know where to find me as well on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast, as well as on YouTube. And don't forget, sign up for Patreon, you guys. We got this small private community that we're building together away from social media, away from all the algorithms, like I always say, so that you can feel safe, you can feel secure. You don't have to run into or scroll into any pictures of pregnant people and or content. And so it's just for us, you guys tap on the show details. That information for Patreon community is there as well. And yeah, thank you again, Kira, for being here with us and sharing your story of hope and inspiration. I appreciate you so very much, dear. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll see you next. Well, you won't see me if you don't watch on YouTube, but we'll be back with another episode in two weeks, you guys. Peace and blessings. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.